All right. Adam Baum is my guest today. And Adam, I don't know if you saw what I did last week with Andy McWilliams, but basically I've just been throwing it out to the message board, letting the fans give us questions, and then we attack them how we see fit. I appreciate you joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. It's uh, It's been a little while. And, you know, after the, the pandemic season last year, we didn't really get to see each other in person too much. So this is, you know, I can't even remember the last time I saw you um, without a computer between us. So we'll, I know we're... <laughs> We're going to be in the building again here pretty soon, which will be fun. It's been a while, and I thought that was why this was a good time to to reconnect and talk with you. We haven't seen a whole lot to this point. We're, we're kind of going off just guessing and uh, predictions right now as we talk about this, but official practice does start this week. So I figured it'd be a good time to kind of regroup, see where our thoughts are at, and then you know maybe we'll uh, everyone can read our coverage, and maybe we'll talk again here in a few weeks, and we'll see how much has changed. But uh, the the people, you know, when when you bring up Adam Baum, you're one of the more likable people, I think, in, in Cincinnati sports media in general. So people always have questions about the man, Adam Baum. They don't want to just know about your business. Uh, so we'll start there. The, they want to know, and I believe it's actually a Clementine obsession you have, right? They want to know about the Orange or Clementine obsession, where it started, and uh, also related to that. Do you have a pregame ritual that goes along with that? Is there stuff you do each game, like where you sit, what you eat? Do you take a dump? What's the deal? <laughs> That's interesting that, that we're starting here because um, that it is a, an important part of my pregame ritual. And I'll take you back away. So I think we've talked about this in a more private setting, but um, I used to be a much larger human. Um, I've significantly shaved off some LBs over the years. I'm down about 60 pounds. But one of the things that really came in handy to me early on in that process was I discovered these little clementines. And I, I remember like how beneficial it was to just have a little healthy snack that you could crank out. And, and I was shocked at how, how well it worked. You know, I, I'd bring two of them with me every day and it's like they, they'll kill some cravings. And then, you know, it, it started to become a thing where it's like, I don't know, it, it's kind it's of my brand. Yeah, yeah, it's your brand. brand. I, like, yeah. I like having a Clementine with me. I like I like peeling them. You know, it's a it's like a cool thing that I don't know. It kind of centers me. It, it gets my my mind ready. I, I love that citrus smell. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of become a, a running joke on Twitter now. Whenever basketball season rolls around, it's also Clementine season because you may not know this, but Clementines are actually in season from November to like April. So it's prime for basketball season. I did not realize that, but that is, so that's good. When we're in January and I'm seeing you bring fruit out, I'm always thinking like, man, that can't be the best fruit, but I'm wrong. It's, it's prime time for Clementines. I mean, obviously we're, we're not getting it local, you know, but <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, I like, I like having them with me. It's kind of like uh it's like a lucky rabbit's foot or something. You know? See, my problem is I'm a watermelon guy and there's just no easy way to bring that with you. No, there's, there's no, not. you, you got to be in your own home at a table eating watermelon. Or you're going to, you're going to be bringing like a Tupperware dish with you everywhere you go. And that, that's yeah, kind of annoying. I can't be that guy. I cannot be no. that guy. When you got into all this stuff, what was your dream beat to work? And is it the same now or has that changed for you? I think it has changed. Like initially I was always a baseball guy. Like my dad was a baseball player. I loved baseball growing up and there was just something about like being in a baseball press box that always sort of spoke to me. And initially when I got into this, I thought, man, if I could cover the reds one day, that would be awesome. 
And, you know, you start out and you sort of went through this too, which is one of the things I respect about you is that we both kind of clawed our teeth um, climbing the ladder, so to speak. But you start out in high school sports and high school sports forces you to cover everything. You know, whether whether you're a football guy or a basketball guy or a baseball guy, it's like I had to cover swimming. I had to cover wrestling. I had to cover tennis, golf, all that stuff. And you sort of get a sense of how each sport is different and what you like about covering this sport versus this sport. Um, but I, I will never forget, like when this Xavier position opened up and I sort of voiced my opinion that, that I wanted to go for it and I ended up getting it. I was like, I was super nervous um, because in high school, it's so spread out. You know, my, my first year on the high school beat, I had like 19 different high schools that I had to keep track of. And now I have this one thing that sort of demands my attention for a significant portion of the year. And, and it's kind of been cool to sink my teeth into it and get to know people and, and, you know, really sort of learn about Xavier and about covering basketball, because I'm, <laughs> I know you know this, but there'd be a few times in my first year on the beat where we'd get to sit next to each other during games. And I'm very vocal about this. Like, you know, way more about basketball than I do. So I'd ask you things during the game and I'd get to sort of, you know, pick your brain at the same time. And that's one of the things I missed during the pandemic was not having you next to me, but um, it's been cool to, to, to sort of figure out how to do this and, you know, what works and what doesn't work. But um, in terms of like where I would ultimately want to go, I, I say this all the time and it's, it's not an embellishment or hyperbole, but if I could retire from the Enquirer one day, having covered Xavier for my whole entire career, I'd be very happy. Like I, I coming into it, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go or, or where it was going to lead, but I've had such a good time and such a blast that like, if I got to do this for the rest of my career, I'd, I wouldn't have anything to complain about. Yeah. I don't want to slobber on each other too much, but I will say one of the most impressive things that I've seen from any reporter is how you approached the beat because media people, especially usually have egos and we don't like telling people we don't know stuff or, you know, admitting like, Hey, like sharing information the way that we do on the Xavier beat. Unfortunately, Shannon Russell, while she was at the Enquirer and the athletic, she had already set that president. She kind of ran the media room before I got there. And as I was coming into it, and she always shared information back and forth. We always talked about a lot of stuff and we've continued that, but you, your basketball knowledge and the way you cover the beat has the curve on it was crazy. Like you got so much better so quickly because of yeah. your willingness to like ask people and talk to the coaches and learn things. And that's the only way you can do it. I mean, it's the same way when I started out. I was just asking Chris Mack and Travis Steele and all these other people that would share a little bit here and there. Byron is another great resource for both of us. I know. So yeah, I mean, that is, that is definitely the way to do it. And you've done a, a really good job of that. I appreciate you, that. Yeah. You, you do the, the thing that you are clearly best at, I think, and I think most fans would agree with this, is your feature stories. You, you do a really good job of connecting with people, maybe connecting with their family when you talk to them, and you get some really great nuggets some great quotes and tell some great backstories about these guys. A lot of the current team, I think because of the pandemic last year and now this year coming into it, things have been weird. There's some new faces with transfers and everything. I don't think the fans have as good of a connection and don't know as much about some of these players as we have in the past. Is there something surprising or something that caught you off guard or a favorite story about the guys on this team that you've come across while uh, working the past year or so? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I'm in a, I'm in a similar situation to a lot of the fans because there's a few guys um, in particular 
that I haven't even gotten to meet or speak to yet. One of them is Elijah Tucker, and I'm sure we might get into that at some point. He's got a little bit of a complicated situation right now. And another one is Jerome Hunter. But in terms of the the guys that I've been able to talk to and sort of get to know a little bit, Jack Nungy has really stood out to me um, just with everything he's been through. I know I just had a feature story about him, but like I sat down to talk to him in the media room. And at the time, kind of a funny story. I was actually on crutches. I had a little bit of a training accident recently. Um, some steps jumped up and bit me and I, I rolled my ankle pretty good, but Ouch. It, was fu- <laughs> it was funny because, you know, that's how we got to meet. But, you know, an unavoidable part of Jack's story is the fact that his father passed away less than a year ago. And I lost my dad unexpectedly. And, and I remember when that happened, like I could not talk about it for a while. And I, I basically presented that to him. And I was like, if you're not ready to talk about this, is if this is something that, you know, is still fresh to you and you don't feel like you can sort of verbalize it, um, you don't have to rush it. We don't have to. And just the way like he immediately wanted to talk about his dad. So I think if Xavier fans are looking for someone that they can root for and pull for, Jack is right at the top of that list. Um Nate Johnson, what what he's had to sort of overcome with that surgery. I mean, when they told me the details about what he had to do, um, they literally like put a permanent rod into his shin. I was like, oh, my God, how how are you going to bounce back from this? Um, What's that rehab look like? So I think that's a cool story. But this team is sort of filled with interesting storylines going into the year. I mean, you have Paul Scruggs who like, you know, not to knock Paul Scruggs at all, but he has not finished the last two seasons the right way. Last year, last year is on him the year before he was injured, but like there's sort of, how are you going to go out? How are you going to be remembered? That's a huge storyline to follow this year. Um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what Colby Jones can do. I think, you know, one of the things that's really cool about this job, and I know you know this, but you get to know these guys on a personal level and pre pandemic, you just sit there in the media room or you're at practice. A guy comes out early or walks by the media room and you get a little bit of a conversation with them and you get to know these guys and you start to care about their life away from the basketball court. And I think they have a lot of guys that like are good, are good people that, that I think that they're going to, they're going to do things on the basketball court. And they're going to do things off the basketball court and you can sort of find something to be proud of in both those areas. But um, yeah, they, they have a lot of cool storylines going into the season and I'm looking to see sort of what emerges and, you know, I know there's some features looming out there waiting to be written, Rick. All right. Two, two <laughs> things I want to go back to real quick on that with the Paul Scruggs thing. I'm almost a little surprised that he wanted to meet this head on because like you said, it, it, it would be really easy for him to just look at it the way most people do is like, I'm done with college. This pandemic thing yep. screwed me last year. I had the injury the year before. I'm tired of this. I want to move on with my life. I'm going to make six figures playing overseas. Probably if I don't make the NBA, either way, Paul Scruggs probably has a future in basketball and it's going to be a pretty good one as soon as he wants to start that. And yet he looked at the situation and said, I can either come back. And if we screw up again, I'm going to be the guy who played five years at Xavier has all these numbers and let the Travis Steele era down, let, you know, Xavier down for four years and didn't make the tournament. Like I'm sure he's well aware of what that would mean if they were to miss it again. Instead, he looked at that face first and was like, 
this means a lot to me. I, I don't want to go out as that guy. I want to overcome those things. I want to be remembered as a guy who got us back on track. To me, that's just a, it's a cool way to do it. And it's also just kind of, I don't know if it's unusual, but I don't think everyone looks at things that way in this day and age. It's more about like, how do I preserve my image and make the best PR play for me? And for him, he's really putting himself out there. I feel like. Yeah. it's. I think it is kind of the road less traveled a little bit. And I think for him, when you talk to him, the, the thing that comes through loud and clear is how much he cares about his teammates. I think he genuinely likes this group of guys. And I think that played a major role in him wanting to come back and sort of take on that risk. But I also think that, you know, you've brought, you've seen Paul Scruggs more than I have because I, I started when he was a sophomore. So you got to see him as freshman year at Xavier, but you can tell the way that he plays. Like he does not want to, he does not want to give up an inch. And, and I think that that sort of personality trait of wanting to dig your heels in and say, no, you know what? I want to, I want to write how this thing ends. I get to have a say in this. And I think that that's sort of a powerful thing for this team going into the season is that all these younger guys, all these newcomers, they have this dude who, to your point, everything you just said, he could be collecting a check right now. He could be long gone overseas trying to play his way through the G League into the NBA, whatever it may be. He could be doing that. And he chose to be here with them to grind it out, to try to bring Xavier back to, to where they were when he was a freshman at Xavier. So I think that that's like that's a huge thing that they can hang their hat on early in the year. But at the same time, like he he knows he has to finish. He has watched the last two seasons sort of slip away from Xavier right through their fingers. And he knows how that story goes. And it's ultimately going to be up to him to change that, to sort of affect that narrative and take this team in the other direction. So I'm, uh, I'm curious to see like if we're going to see an even more intense Paul Scruggs this year. Um, But yeah, I think he he's well aware of what is on the line and the fact that he's willing and up for that challenge is I think it's a good thing for Xavier. Yeah, I just think it's cool. Like it's it's really hard for I think anyone to root against a guy like that who's willing to put himself out there and it really be about the family and the team and all the stuff that they always talk and hype up and you know it sounds like BS sometimes. He's embodying that. He's walking the walk this year and and I think that's pretty cool. I it's hard for me to not want the best for that kid going into this year. Real quick on Nate Johnson too because I thought your piece was revealing where you got all the details on the injury. He has said that he hasn't felt this way in like three years. Right. I mean, this is the first time he's really been healthy in a long time. Yeah. This is like, he did this and, and basically the, the medical advice that he initially got was like, yeah, we can, you know, you can rest it and try to come back and just let it heal naturally. And it essentially never healed on its own. It's, it's been a lingering issue that he's tried to play through. And, uh, and, you know, I remember, when he told me about this and we're sitting in the media room having this conversation and in the back of my mind, I'm just like, man, you looked really good last year and you, you were going through this, you know, you had this that you had to deal with and ultimately it ended your season. And I was just like, I was kind of in, in awe a little bit, like, man, what are we going to see from a healthy Nate Johnson? Like a dude, he, he hasn't felt this good in two, three years. Um, I know you saw the, uh, the video Xavier posted on Twitter recently of a, a putback dunk from him. And I was just like, good Lord. I mean, we didn't see that last year. Well, and that's the exact type of thing that he was saying he couldn't, he didn't have right. That springiness, yeah. that bounce, the, the quick twitch stuff. And man, 
that that looked pretty good. He does look healthy, that's for sure. Yeah. Going back to the the overall writing and, and process of covering the beat, there was a couple more questions people had for you. One was similar to the last question, but not relating to just this team. Overall, since you've been covering the beat, is there a, a favorite story or a most fun piece that you've done? Hmm. Let me think here. Well, I will say this, um, and I think I might be redundant because I feel like I've used this answer before on, on one of your podcasts, but I'll never forget. So, you know, I get promoted from high school sports to Xavier and, uh, and I got connected with Tom Iser, Xavier's SID. And before I had ever met anyone, Tom, he sets up an entire day, just blocks off an entire day for me to come up. And, you know, I meet Tom for the first time. And then I get to sit down with Greg Christopher and then I get to sit down with Travis and then I get to sit down with all three assistant coaches and and Matt Jennings and Dave Fluker. I literally got to meet everyone. So that was a memorable day for me because um, I got to kind of see who I was going to get to be working with, but I'll never forget the first conversation I had with Jonas um, coach Hayes. And I, I remember like, you know, we're talking and I'm getting to know him. And I had done a little bit of background information. So I knew a little bit of his story. I knew that he lost his dad. And I thought, you know, I'd love to speak to his mom. And he like literally in the middle of the interview, I was like, Hey, do you mind if I could get your mom's cell phone number, give her a call to talk about you and your career. And he's like, you know, I'll do you one better. And he just pulls out his phone in the middle of the interview (laughs) and calls his mom. So while I'm interviewing Jonas, I'm interviewing his mom and I remember walking out of that interview and I'm walking down to my car and it's like, I'm, I'm already writing that story in my head based off the conversation that we just had. And, and I'll never forget that because that that's the coolest thing about this job is when, you know, you sit down for an interview or, or you cover an event and it's like, it's so ingrained in your mind already that like the wheels are already turning your feet are starting to run already uh, before you're even at your computer but that's one that stands out um i always enjoyed i really enjoy getting to talk to players families um tyreek's mom has just been um one of the cooler people that i've gotten to interview since covering xavier same with paul scruggs's mom i got to talk to her recently and you'll get a kick out of this because I know you, you sort of feel the same way I do about Paul. Like I love Paul. He's a great person. He's super kind. Um, but he's not always the most like outspoken in terms of answering questions. You get a lot of one word answers, a lot of one sentence answers, and that's fine. You know, not everyone is going to expand and give you, you know, three, four, five, six sentences per answer. But Paul's mom is the exact opposite of him. Like you'd ask her a question and she'd go for five minutes talking. And it was just like, it was the greatest thing ever, but it's such a stark contrast to Paul. So, you know, I think if I put a little bit more time into it, I could probably um, find a favorite story, but actually the one that is pinned on my Twitter is like, I put a lot of work in, and that was a story about the the 20th anniversary of Cintas. And I got to talk to, you know, David West and Kevin Fry and Lionel Chalmers. And I went back and talked to a bunch of people who had played at Xavier and got to hear their stories and their favorite memories. And that was a lot of fun to put together and do. So um, there's a few of them, but hopefully there's many more. Yeah, no, that one was really good. That was actually one of the pieces I was thinking of when this question came up was that that throwback piece on the the 20 years. Um, Do you have a favorite press conference moment? Ooh, 
Ours will be different because mine's the brawl. That was before you were on the beat. I'll never yeah, get enough of yeah. uh, Mick ripping his players' jerseys off and discovering vaccines for polio and whatnot. <laughs> uh, this is a good question. Um, star by that one, whoever whoever asked that one. But um, let me think. Um, you know, the, the one thing, like, I know we both feel the same way about Travis, and I know people on your message board sort of think, that a lot of times he talks in coach speak. Um, no, they don't but, think they're right. He does. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's been, I'm trying to think of like moments when, when he's sort of gotten out of that mode and, you know, I, there's probably been a few shootout moments um, in press conferences, but Travis normally keeps it pretty buttoned up. Um yeah, I don't I don't know that I have a great answer for that one, unfortunately, but that's one that like I'm sure if I went back through, um, I keep all my interviews in this in this program and it's kind of nice and convenient. Sometimes like I'll go back through and look at what people said and, and how they handled stuff. But um, that is a good question. I'll have to I'll have to put some more thought into that. Maybe next time I come back on, I'll have a better answer for you. Well, it's funny because I was I was thinking over it and I was like, man, there's not really anything in the last couple of years that is rising up to my first couple of years on the beat when I had like the brawl and some other Mac moments where, you know, Mac was a little bit of a wild card sometimes up there. So it's yeah. definitely different with Travis. We have not had any real fun blow up moments or interesting beefs or anything like that. So. I think, I think Travis, like, I think he consciously tries to avoid that, but I also think that's not a huge part of his personality. It's not. Is to, yeah. Yeah. It's not, not, not him at all. And so I think he, he keeps it a little closer to the vest. Um, which is funny because actually, and I know Sean Miller was a little more outspoken in public and stuff, but between like the two, I think Chris Mack was almost more like easygoing and and different, like in terms of being a coach and being more like to me, Travis is almost more fiery in ways and more like Sean Miller as a coach. But in in front of the media, he's never you're right. He's never confrontational or, or real yeah. fiery. So I think sometimes yeah. fans get a different idea of who Travis is as a coach because of the way he comes off in press conferences as compared to the way he is at practice. Cause we see him at practice. It's like, dude's pretty fiery. He's pretty fiery yeah, in practice. I mean, like you, you watch him like throw a dude out of practice sometimes. And you're like, man, Travis got a little fire in him. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, as cuts. you know, I, I really like when Travis starts cussing. I find that very funny. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I think we both get a kick out of that. Yeah. Um, we were talking about practice, getting ready to kick off this week and something you wrote about, a little bit this summer was the new practice facility that's being installed at CentOS. I believe the latest update that it's going to be completed next summer. Is that your understanding? Do you have any other tidbits people had asked about the practice facility? That's my understanding. Um, if if people haven't been up to CentOS recently, when they go up there, I would encourage them to just maybe walk or, or drive back by around that edge of the arena. I was up there about a week ago and they've they're getting started on it. So it's, it's, it's going to be cool to see the finished product um, because like the renderings of it just look awesome. But yeah, I think that everything is on schedule and um, it, it, it looks cool, man. I'll be honest. Like uh, all the things that, that have recently popped up in CentOS and the surrounding area, it's like, I think fans, fans are going to get a kick out of, out of sort of the progression and the evolution of that space. Well, with us heading to practice, finally seeing the team in person for the first time at some point this week, I have to ask you, what's going to be the first thing you have your eyes on? What's that storyline that's itching you right now that you really want to see as soon as we get into the gym? 
Oh, you know, I was actually thinking about this before, before we got on this call, because to me, this season is the most interesting since I've been on the beat. So since Travis Steele took over, because I think we have some real competitions in the mix here. I mean, you know, there's going to be, you look at those top four guys, Paul, Nate, Fremantle, and Colby. And I think those are going to be sort of four mainstays. But when you think about it, you know, Jack Nungy still is not going full go. He's not going five on five full contact. And I think that they're going to, they're going to hold that off until closer to the start of the season. So early on, he's, when they start playing games, he's not going to be a significant presence. Yeah, he might start, he might play, but I can't see him going from February tearing your meniscus and not really getting going again until late October. And you're not going to come right in and play 30 minutes a game. So that means a guy like Deontay Miles, Cesar Edwards, like there are some guys who are going to have an opportunity to impact this team early on in the season. And the other thing is like, and I know he was a um, sort of a, an inflammatory player while he was at Xavier. And I know fans have a lot of mixed feelings about Jason Carter, but to me, they have an opportunity to, to be really flexible, really versatile at that four man spot this year. Um, that that's sort of one thing that I've got my eye on going into this year that I'm really interested in because you have, you bring in Jerome Hunter. Ben Stanley has progressed in a way that I didn't think people thought that he was going to. Um, so there's questions about that spot too. Like who's going to win that job? Who's going to win those minutes? Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that, that is like who people are going to have opportunities to play their way into the rotation. I'm, I'm curious to see how deep that rotation goes and how many guys can sort of get those consistent minutes, because I think you'll agree this is far and away the deepest and most talented roster that that Steele has had since he took over. Well, I think the big thing about it is really since he's taken over the job, it's almost been a scramble situation for him to fill the roster and try to get enough pieces. You know, we don't have any shooting. We got to get someone and you get a Ryan Wellage or a Bryce Moore. Who, you know, I mean, it was always yeah. trying to fill with stop gaps and just get to what you need. Now we're, we're not to that point anymore. He's recruited oh. all these guys pretty much. These are guys he wanted. Yeah, you're still working with the transfer portal, but that's a, a reality of today's game. I mean, he's always going to be doing that. That's not going to change. So I, I feel like this is a roster where he feels confident. He feels like these are the guys that I brought in and we know what they're capable of and we can win in the Big East with this roster. And I'm not saying he didn't think that about his other teams, but realistically, just looking at how they were put together and the type of guys that were in important positions, they weren't. Last year, I thought they were close and you had a very weird year. You had some yeah. young guys that you wanted to rely on and their development was really, really screwed up by COVID. And obviously they weren't the only team dealing with that, but this year is kind of the year it feels like no excuses. And so I think your point's a good one for me in terms of what I'm going in and watching right away. It's always, you know, who, who's lost the weight, who's gained the most bulk, all that <laughs> type. You're always looking at the bodies, who, who looks the most different. And then for me, the next thing is always the newcomers. So I'll be looking at the, the transfers and the freshmen. But this year, I'll add one more guy to that, and that's Deontay Miles. Just because yeah. it, it feels like such a big part of this team and where their upside may lie and how much depth they may actually have in the post and how much better they might actually be at controlling the rim, especially on the defensive end. He, he is a tough one to figure out because I watched him in high school a lot at Walton Verona. I knew he was going to be a big project. I really didn't know if he would ever – become a real big East level prospect, but everything we've heard from Travis Steele and his coaching staff is that 
they think he has NBA potential and they think he absolutely yeah. is going to be a star in the Big East when he gets to that point. So we've heard a lot about it. We really haven't seen any of it yet in terms of him being ready. We've heard once again that he's taken another step this offseason. He looks great. That's going to be my first thing is like, are, is what we're hearing legit or does he still have a ways to go? Because I think that's going to be a, a big storyline this whole season. I couldn't agree more. And I also think I read uh, like a little offseason thing from the three man weave recently about Xavier. And um, I think we had talked about this in person previously, but like the defensive rebounding percentage thing and the way that it has fallen off in recent years. Um, I think having a guy like Deontay Miles who can sort of, I don't, I don't necessarily know that he's a guy who's going to own the paint like a, like a Tyreek Jones, but I think he can own the rim. I think he can own the area above the rim and around the rim. And I, I, I think also like, what are, what's Jack Nungy's situation going to be? Like, how much is he going to be able to play? How is he going to stay healthy for the whole season? Like, those are very real things that Xavier might have to, to deal with this year. And if Deontay Miles can come in, I remember, um, and I can't say who told me this, but last year, someone on Xavier's staff, um, and it could be like support staff too. We'll keep, we'll keep people guessing, but they told me that Deontay Miles is the one is the player on the roster with the most NBA potential. And it's like, if that's the case, if he really can come in and play at a Big East level and impact games and be a guy around the rim that can change, they have the talent around him and the ability to spread out the floor and do all these different things. I think that they could be a dangerous team if he's a guy that can come in and produce. So that that's a good one. I do like that. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on him, particularly early in the season, because I think he's going to get opportunities right away to, to prove that he can play. You know, one of the message board posters wanted to wanted us to talk about the position battles to watch leading up to the season. We're kind of already getting into that. This specific poster referenced Hunter Stanley as one of the battles that he's interested in. Um, then Deontay Miles and Cesar Edwards as another one. And then he, he says he's penciling Nunji in as a starter or getting starter caliber minutes. He wants to know if that's premature. And if not, then he would assume he'd be in the mix with Miles and Edwards battling it out for that that center spot. But what's kind of your take on the position battles? Is Are those the ones you're watching most closely? Are there any other ones you're real interested in? Those are the ones. The, those are the easy ones. I think the more complicated ones are like, who, who's going to earn those minutes behind Paul, Nate, and Colby? Like, I think Dwan is obviously going to be a big part of their plan. And I think Kunkel and the way that he can shoot the ball and create and play make for others. And then you have Kiki Dandy. Like, those are three guys, presumably, who are going to come off the bench. What's their role going to be? How are they going to impact this team? Is, you know, I still think that Adam Kunkel has the ability to be a really good player and a Big East guy. I think, um, you know, he's one of those guys that I'm curious to see what his physique looks like and, and whether he's been able to really bulk up. I know Xavier posted a, a little video on Twitter, but. Um, you and I should put out videos like that of us <laughs> doing in the offseason. Well, I, I had an idea before the pandemic. Um, I wanted to go through the off-season strength and conditioning routine that the team goes through and then write a story about it and sort of see what impact it has on a normal on someone, guy. Yeah, a normal person. Yeah. Um, and I, I ran into a brick wall at Xavier. I even offered to to sign a waiver forfeiting all all legal. They were worried you know, about your heart. 
They were. They were worried about my body breaking down right there. Um, no, but I, I still think that that would be a cool story to do. I, uh, and I, I probably have a few years left before I can shelve that one permanently. That that was more ambitious than I was thinking because I was assuming I was still going to be drinking beer and eating wings, and then we'd still just make the video anyway. Uh, you actually <laughs> wanted to get in shape, which was a little more than I wanted to do, but either way, still a good idea. No, yeah, but that so you know the the Stanley Hunter is definitely going to be an interesting battle, um, and then the the one that we already talked about with Nunji and and Deontay Miles and Cesar. But for me, it's like. Who are going to be those guys at the guard spot and on the wing that that come in when when guys get in foul trouble or, or you need some rotations? So I, I think there there's a lot to be interested in early on going going into the season, which is fun for us. Yeah, I think those are the right position battles to talk about. And I've it's not really a position battle, but maybe the most interesting minutes battle, for lack of a better term, to me is the fifth starter spot. And what I mean by that is. I think there's a few ways you can go. Like, is Jack Nunji ready? Because like this guy said, if he is, my guess is I'm penciling him in as a fifth starter next to Zach Freeman on the front court. And I don't think you get around that. And with that, I would say Colby Jones is definitely a starter at the three then. And then that leaves you two spots. So you're probably Paul Scruggs, Nate Johnson at the yeah. other two spots to start out. And that feels like pretty set thing. But with that, you've got a guy in Dwan Odom who could play the point instead and start at the point guard. I think he's very much capable and talented enough to do so. Yeah. And you could slide Colby down to the four if Jack isn't ready. Or is there someone else? Is Adam Kunkel really pushing you for starter minutes and you feel like you got to get another guard in there for the shooting? You want him and Nate both to play at the same time, for instance, alongside Paul, something like that. So yeah. I think there are some minutes things in that starting lineup that may not be like specific position group battles where it's like really more like, do we are we better playing big or are we better playing small? Or do we need more three-point shooting? Do we need more rebounding type stuff? I'm fascinated yeah. to see how that looks because right now I have about six starters, maybe even seven, <laughs> uh, for this team. And I don't know which is the right combination. No, I, that, that's a great point. And that's something I've been thinking about because if you think back to last year, and a lot of this was pandemic related, and a good portion of it was personnel related too, but we saw a Xavier team that I thought never really figured out their rotations all year. And I know Steele talked about it a lot. I know you wrote about it a lot. I wrote about it a lot. But it's like when you have this much depth and this much talent that we have, that we already have these questions going into the season, to me it's imperative that you figure out who's who works well together, who you can trust in certain situations, who's coming off the bench first. What are those rotations going to look like? Because – the sooner you figure those out and the sooner that you can get those guys all on the same page and you have that plan in place and you can work that plan for 20, 25, 30 games going into the Big East tournament, like I think the better off you're going to be at the end of the season. So that's something that this team definitely has to figure out. And it's going to be a work in progress, but um, you know that's Travis Steele's job this year is to figure out who works the best together and, and who's going to get those minutes. If blank became an impact player, it would give Xavier their highest ceiling this year. Mm. Your, your message board is smarter than they look sometimes, Rick. I'll give them that. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, I think, all right, repeat it one more time. If blank became an impact player, it would give X their highest ceiling this year. Okay. That you want me good. to go first here? You can go first. Okay, because I... I think my answer to this, and it, it depends on how you're defining impact player exactly, but I would say 
Jack Nungy has never been an impact player before. He's been a backup, yeah. a role guy. If he, I expect him to be a starter and be an impact guy at Xavier. That's why they got him. If he so. is, I think that gives them their highest ceiling. I think they're best off if if Jack Nungy is a major upgrade inside. He's much better than Jason Carter was last year. He helps you rebound. He shoots it better. He's more skilled. He's just bigger overall. Gives you more length on defense. He's not going to be fast or as uh, laterally quick as Jason Carter was able to guard ball screens in the same way, but hopefully his length inside cuts down on some passing lanes, helps you rebound better. And I think with that, if he's really solid and really the guy you think he can be as a starter at the the four or five with Fremantle, you are at, at your best if that's the case. And if it's not him, then I go right behind him to Deontay Miles. You know, it's yeah. a, I think it's got to be one. We need one of those big guys to really break out and be an impact guy this year. Yeah, you do. And I was honestly, I was thinking about Deontay Miles. That was the first one that sort of came to my mind because um, I, I do think that the area around the basket is where has been sort of glaring. At least it was last year. Um, and then to to maybe give fans a little bit of a different answer, like I still think that Dwan Odom's game. I, I know I'm I'm really curious to see what his shot transformation looks like because I know that that was a big point of emphasis in the offseason. and I know that you know changing a jump shot is a little bit like playing with a house of cards. Um, you don't really know what it's going to look like or how it's going to progress until you get into live fire, live bullets, um, live action. But I still think that Dwan Odom's game, he he has this unique ability to, to really be a thorn in an opposition side. Like the his athleticism offensively, his ability to attack the basket and sort of break down a defense, I think that's incredibly valuable. And then his ability to guard on the ball is like if he continues to get better at that, um, I think that like if if he's a guy who can be have an impact off the bench, I think that's going to go a long way too towards Xavier having a really good year. But I think my answer is probably secondary to your answer there because I do think you know when you watch this team last year, like Jason Carter and Zach Fremantle had a great year, but there was still a lot of times where it was like. They Xavier just did not look tough enough around the basket or talented enough around the basket to to really compete in the Big East. And I think maybe Jack Nungy and Deontay Miles can give them that. Yeah, you know, the Dwan point is an interesting one, though. The reason I wouldn't have said him is because I feel like even if Dwan is pretty much the same player as last year, you've got your backcourt settled, right? Like Paul Scruggs is going to be fine. Nate Johnson is good. Like you can handle that even if he doesn't progress. But to your point, like, I think he could be a Posh Alexander, Chuck. Like, I think he could be one of the next big time young guards in this conference with a little more opportunity. If he becomes that type of breakout playmaker, which again, he could be capable of. You're right. How much does that all of a sudden change the upside? If you've got an unbelievable point guard like that, that's explosive. A guy next to him, Paul Scruggs, who doesn't have to do as much of the ball handling playmaking can maybe even be more driven and focused as a scorer and defender. It, that could be really interesting. I, I like that answer as well. And the other the other thing on that really quick is like, I know that it's all about this season, that you want to take care of business this season. You want to compete in the Big East and you want to make the NCAA tournament. But you also, in the back of your mind, you know, Dwan's going to get the keys to the car next year. Like Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson are, are both going to be gone. And Dwan Odom is going to have the basketball a lot next year. So I think if we can sort of see him take a step this year, that's going to go a long way towards, you know, what this team is going to look like a year after. Yeah. That, uh, that's a really good point. Cause it's like for Travis, that's a little bit of a balancing act. Cause 
Yeah. Travis can't look past this year either. I mean, he needs to no. win too. It's not like he's just playing for the future or anything. This is the team. But at yeah. the same time, you've got a great young core. I mean, if you win this year, you can keep this thing rolling for a couple of years, presumably with the young right. guys you have and the way you're recruiting. So you're right. There is a little bit of a balancing act of like, you want to make sure Dwan and Colby and those guys get developed the way they should this year. And they get plenty of opportunity to, to break out if they're ready to do so. Uh, th- this team is so deep and experienced. What do you think is the weakest part of the roster and why will they lose when they lose? For me right now, it's got to be, it's got to be defensive related. Um, and, you know, this is sort of hinging upon <clears throat> did Fremantle bulk up at all? Is he going to be tougher defending in the low post? <clears throat> I just think this team is going to have a lot of opportunities to score the basketball between, you know, Paul Scruggs, <clears throat> Nate Johnson shooting. Colby Jones, I feel like, is primed to take a step offensively this year. And then you have Fremantle, who who had no problems pretty much scoring last year. And then you add in a Jack Nungy guy who can who can step out and shoot a three, who can score around the basket. I think that they're going to have no problems. Well, not not no problems. They might run into some some teams that give them some problems. But I don't think that scoring is necessarily going to be the problem. I'm curious to see can they all defend and defend together and and really you know be a complete team on both ends of the floor. But um, that's another good question because it's like. You know, you think about it, and I'm curious if they can defend and, and be like a tough defensive team because Travis always preaches that, and I don't necessarily know that we've seen it yet. So um, that's sort of the thing I'm looking at. Well, and it's it's always tough, too, because last year with the pandemic situation, it's like at times they really did lock down and play much better defense than at other times. They looked good offensively. They had it flowing, and then one or the other would just completely abandon them in certain games. And it's like hard to figure out how much of that was this personnel and this grouping and this coaching staff versus how much was them being just discombobulated and not being able to get in the flow and practice regularly. It's a really hard year to evaluate and extrapolate out to this year of what it all meant. That being said, the defense is is huge, obviously. I'm going to be real nitpicky here. For three straight years since Travis has taken over the program, this team has stunk from three-point range. Even last year when they had more shooters and you would have thought they would have been fine. And they did shoot more often from three point range. At least they were a little bit more of a threat. And and when they got going, they were, they were good because they had a Nate Johnson, a Paul Scruggs and Adam Kunkel um, guys who didn't all shoot up to their potential, but they are capable at least. But in terms of percentages, they stunk. I mean, they shot like 32% last year. They haven't, they haven't shot well yet since Travis Steele has taken over this roster. Certainly they have all the guys to do so this year, but you got to make some at some point. And if not, yeah. like if this team doesn't shoot well, then at what point do we have to start saying like, are they doing something wrong? Are they not getting the right three point shots? Like what's going on? Because you can't, you know, at first it was like, okay, I didn't think he had the right guys. I, I didn't think the three point yeah. shooters they had on the roster were quite good enough to play at this level. But now, I mean, you've brought in multiple guys who should be good enough to play at this level and make three-point shots. What's going on with the three-point shooting at some point? And, like, I think they need to get that more consistent. It's so hard to win in today's game without making three-point shots at a respectable clip. So that's one thing where I'm like, they have got to fix that somehow. And there's no reason they shouldn't because they've got all the personnel to do so. Yeah, I agree. And yours yours is a very specific good answer. But you said you said one word that I was thinking about, and it's – it's consistency. And that, that applies to everything because I think there were times last year and in the couple years prior where Xavier has looked like 
a good basketball team where they've they've had games where you know you beat Villanova or you beat Creighton when your back's against the wall at the end of last year and Nate Johnson doesn't play. Like there have been moments and times and stretches where they do put it all together. But I think the overarching theme that has sort of plagued Xavier the last few years has been putting it all together on a consistent level and and doing it repeatedly and carrying it over game to game. And that's, to me, it's like, you're never going to do anything worthwhile if you can't do that. So uh, I think that that's got to be top of mind for, for Xavier this year is how do, how do you get a consistent win a winning product out there on the floor from game to game? We were talking a lot about Dwan Odom. I forgot this question was in here a little bit later on. I should have brought it up before, but someone wanted to know, is Steel ready to turn Xavier's hopes and dreams for Team 100 over to Dwan Odom from the get-go? Uh, we we kind of talked about that a little bit already. My guess is he doesn't start at point, but I could see it. I mean, I think he's talented enough to. I do think he's talented enough to. And, you know, I don't know that Xavier fans are going to love what I have to say right now because, you know, there were some times last year where Dwan made some some really freshman mistakes and key points in games. But I also think that having that, like, having that happen to you as a freshman I almost think it's a positive down the road because the fact that he did mess up and he had some bad games and he made some big mistakes in key moments, like you never want your players to do that. But at the same time, like I think that disappointment and, and doing that on a national stage and like having that happen to you earlier in your career, I think it's a great motivating factor. And I, we mentioned him working on his jump shot. Like to me, it's going to say a lot about Dwan Odom if he if he really put in the time and worked the the way that I think that he's capable of at improving his jump shot, like if you if you're if you're committed to getting better and to learning new things and to saying, look, this is a noticeable weakness in my game. I'm going to do what's necessary to turn that weakness into a positive. If he can do that, I think that says a lot about him, and I think it says a lot about like whether or not we might see more Dwan Odom this year. So I'm keep I'm going to keep my eye on that too. Yeah, the one thing I loved about him last year, you mentioned you he had the moments where he'd make the freshman mistake or it was a turnover where you couldn't have, right? Yep. But he also after he did some of those things, there were also moments where he had clutch buckets late in games where he drove yep. and draw foul and and made free throws or or what have yep. you. Like he also showed the mental toughness to to be competitive and be like, "Hey, they got me that time, but I've still got the confidence and ability. Like I, I'll take the big shot. I'll make the big play and late, late in games for us still, even as a freshman. So I love his mental makeup. I love what I've heard about his approach this off season and being willing to break down a shot and restart it as a, you know, what, 18, 19 year, however old he is now. I mean, yeah. usually, usually you're that far along in your career. You're not going to switch from what got you to be a high major recruit, right? You're going to keep shooting it the way you've been Correct. shooting it for him to fully commit to the staff and say, yeah, let's break this down and completely change what I'm doing. kind of tells you what type of mindset he has. So uh, I'm excited to see what he does this year. If you could choose one person that will play a bigger role than many expect him to play, who would that be? Hmm. I mean, we're, we're kind of beating the drum here, but I would say Deontay um, because I do think he's going to have opportunities this year. And I think, you know, from what I've seen from him already, like he has a very unique skill set. And I kind of hate the word unique, but um, I think like the things that he can do is something that's been sort of missing from Xavier the last few years. So let's go, let's go farther than the last few years. I mean, Chris Mack really never had an elite shot blocker. 
Like yeah. Jalen Reynolds is maybe the closest because of the pack line defense for is a big reason. Like they don't want to go block a lot of shots, but in this case, they've got a guy that's a shot blocker. I mean, that's why you got Deontay miles is that was his number one skill as a prospect is he had great timing yeah. and instincts as a shot blocker, along with the crazy wingspan and the athleticism and all that. So, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you want to drag it out and get another guy in there, like I still, I still believe in Adam Kunkel. I, I oh, think yeah. like the, the thing, the thing with him last year was like, he had games where he didn't shoot the ball well. And I think for a lot of Xavier fans, like Kunkel count comes in and the storyline on him is he's a sniper. He's a, he's a guy who's going to knock down shots. And then he had a lot of games where he didn't do that. And then at the same time, Travis trusted him enough to play him and he got burned a little bit defensively, to be honest. Like, I think that the realization of jumping up from a lower level conference to the big East and having to defend these guys who are bigger than you, who are quicker than you, who are stronger than you. I think he definitely struggled with that last year. So we talk about Dwan taking the off season to break down a shot and try to get better at that. Adam Kunkel, what, what did you do this off season to get better defensively to, to not be a guy who's going to give up two points every time a team comes down the floor. Like if he's going to be more involved this year and in a, in a consistent presence on this team, he's got to defend better than he did last year. Yeah. I, I think that's a big part of it, but also, I mean, what do you shoot? 28% or 26% yeah, or something from three, like a rough year. Yeah. You bring him in as a sniper. He's got to make shots. And I think he will do that. So actually he was going to be my answer for this question was, was Kunkel. Cause I can actually see this goes back to the the player battle for minutes, but I knew this question was coming, so I didn't talk about it. I don't think people I think people would be surprised to hear this, but I could see Adam pushing Nate Johnson for starter minutes potentially, because like if you look at it, Nate Johnson has nowhere to go but down from what he did last year. Like it's going to be really hard for him to replicate the shooting percentages that he put up last year. The numbers like he was really freaking good for a long time where he was just insanely hot. And then he had some COVID things. He slowed down a little bit and then he got hurt. But him coming off the injury, I think he's healthy. I'm not really worried about that, and I think he's still going to be really solid. But again, if all of a sudden you get to a point where he's not shooting all that well, or he's just hit, he's a better defender than Adam too, so that helps him. But Adam has something offensively in terms of being a playmaker and and yes. having a feel that I don't really know if they have anyone else on the team that's quite the same as him in terms of how he sees the game and feels it. Now, like you said, is he a great athlete that's going to be able to blow people's doors off and make a ton of plays? Not necessarily. But last year, we saw him already at a major disadvantage physically, and he was able to get in the lane and able to make more plays than I expected right off the bat. So a year in the offseason weight program, I know he's definitely changed his body somewhat. We'll see how much that actually translates to the floor. But if he is a little bit strong, a little bit faster, and able to do a little bit more off the bounce and, and play make for this team, I could see him all of a sudden becoming a really big factor, especially if he starts shooting the ball like he's capable of. And, you know, if he's hitting 38% or 40% from three, he could become a much bigger factor this season. I think fans are expecting. So uh, yeah, for a, a second there, before you said him, I thought you might say Kiki Tandio. And you said <laughs> people are going to say, oh, oh, oh. But. <laughs> no, Kiki's like, I honestly, I can, I can sit here and talk about Xavier all day. I don't know what to think or what to say about Kiki at this point, because it's like, you obviously like he has to do something different. Like you can't keep doing the same things over and over again and hope that it's going to change, hope that your situation is going to improve. So, I mean, I, I think that it's cool that he decided to come back. I think part of that was like, the, I think he learned that the grass isn't going to be necessarily always greener on the other side. Um, 
But yeah, Kiki's kind of like I I really don't know what to make a, of what his role is going to be. Is he going to be, you know, a scout team player? Is he going to is he going to compete for minutes off the bench? Like that's sort of something I have zero grasps on at this point. I look at it like this. He is a walk on at this point to this team. I mean, that yeah. is essentially his role is he is a reserve back end of the bench type of guy. But He's also a walk-on that's already proven he can score 20 points in a Big East game, and he can shoot. He's shot over 35% from three in back-to-back years, his first two years on a college camp. Like he is a walk-on with a lot of scoring potential and some things that you may need. So I wouldn't rule it out that he could find his way back into a rotation or make some shots for this team or, or something like that. But he wanted to leave the team. He didn't really yeah. have any better offers to go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like he came back. He is a walk-on at this point. He is bottom of the totem pole or the depth chart, and he has to work his way up. I think that's the only way to look at it. And quite honestly, from what I understand, I don't think he was told anything differently from the coaching staff. They may not have put it in those exact terms, but I don't. no one told him, yeah, we need you back. You're going to be guaranteed yeah. minutes or anything. You know, He yeah. knows he's got a, a lot to work through here, and you're absolutely right. He just has to change who he is as a player. Like It's great to be a scorer and, and, and come in the game and try to be a microwave and just get some points up but you have to commit yourself to the team a little bit. Like you have to be willing to do other things just to a requisite level. So where you're not a complete liability and a disaster yeah. every time you touch the ball or every time they, they drive the ball at you or what have you. So yeah, he, he definitely has to, to change up how he's doing things. Um, what about the reverse of that? Is there someone who may struggle to keep their initial role throughout the season because of all the options they have? Hmm. Um, I, I guess, you know, to your point about Kunkel and like, Kunkel's ability to shoot it like if Kunkel shoots it really well and maybe Nate Johnson has a dip maybe maybe there's a little bit of a reversal there um but outside of that like the only thing I can think of is you know maybe maybe Nunji's knee does not does not cooperate the right way and, and we don't see him be a you know a guy who plays in 30 games and, and is in there for 30 minutes a game or what have you like I, I just think that you know, there's no way that that Paul Scruggs is going to go in reverse. To me, I think Colby Jones is on a rocket ship to the moon, and okay. that thing's not coming back. Um, and then it's like, what what is Jerome Hunter's going to role be, or what's his role going to be? Um, what's Ben Stanley going to be able to provide? Like, to me, there's there are a handful of really interesting questions that. I'm really curious to see how they play out and and what the makeup of this team is going to look like. But in terms of like guys who were consistent, reliable players last year, one of them may be regressing a little bit. Um, that's kind of a hard question for me to answer. Yeah. I don't think there's an easy answer there. Yeah, I, th- I think Nate is the answer, but it's not anything because I think he's going to be bad or anything like that. I think he's yeah, going to be really solid. He'll probably start and he'll be a really good player. But the oh, he's really the only one I can see because it's like, I'm with you, Scruggs and Jones aren't going anywhere in the backcourt. Those two guys are, yeah. I think, going to start and they'll be playing a ton of minutes. So I don't think they're going to lose their roles. But right behind them, you've got two more guards who probably aren't going to be in the starting lineup that their play may dictate that they need more time on the court. And that's Dwan right. and Adam Kunkel. So if those, if those two, one of those two happen to be playing really, really well, who's most likely to take a backseat to that? It's probably Nate Johnson if he's not shooting the same way he did last year. So again, it's yeah. nothing against Nate at all, but it's the, the really only logical way I can see from a fan's perspective right now who they're expecting to play a lot of minutes. Nate Johnson's probably like the most likely one to take a, a back step. Yeah. 
And Nate could come come out and just slap both of us in the face and shoot like fifty five percent from three. And yeah. and then by the way, like that's that would not surprise me at all. Like I I'm yeah. not predicting this will happen. I'm just saying if no, there were something the, to happen, that's the most likely scenario I can most likely, come yeah. up with. Yeah. I agree. There's there's one last question, and this is probably my fault here that it's being asked because it's a it's a storyline that I've brought up a few times since the end of last year, where yes, Xavier's bringing back all these guys from last year, right? But at the end of the season, especially with the season on the line and we knew what they had to do to get in, they lose three games in a row right there in the stretch, all winnable games. They just couldn't seem to close them. And a lot of the thing I've said is they didn't seem to have the best player in those games, or at least maybe I'm phrasing that wrong. They didn't have the guy who was willing to step up and close the game. Like, I don't know that Chudier Belay from Georgetown is much better than anyone Xavier had, but he was the best player on the floor of that game and he controlled it and he won the game for them. Like same thing with Chuck Harrison Butler. I don't know that he's any better than a Paul Scruggs or something, but Paul Scruggs went 0 for 5 from 3 in that game and Chuck Harris took it to Xavier, you know? Yep. So it's like that I think that's more my thing is okay, yeah, you've got all these guys back. You got a lot of talent, you got a lot of depth, but do you have that alpha? Do you have maybe saying the best player is the wrong guy, but do you have the closer? Do you have the guy that can step up and win the game? So set this this poster said there's been a lot of discussion about not having the best player on the court in conference play possibly becoming a problem. I keep thinking about the 2015-2016 team that went 14 and 4 in conference play. Trayvon took a big step forward as a sophomore, becoming a first team all Big East player. I'd argue, however, that Villanova, Marquette, Seton Hall, and Providence had the best players on the court every time. While it certainly helps to have the best player on the court, I don't think it's some huge deal breaker. What are your guys' thoughts on this? And he went on to reference, you know, Villanova had Josh Hart that year. Xavier went one and one against him. Seton Hall had Isaiah Whitehead. Xavier went one and one. Marquette had Henry Ellenson, who Xavier swept. Uh, Providence had Chris Dunn and Ben Bentil, and Xavier swept them. So they were six and two while allegedly not having the best player on the court in Big East yeah. play that season. Let me let me throw that to you. Get your general thoughts on it, and then I, I'll come back and kind of give where I'm at on, yeah. on that whole discussion. Yeah. I certainly think that's a fair point. And, and I thought it was glaring, particularly at the end of last year. Um, and I think that the answer that is probably most likely is it remains to be seen. Um, Paul Scruggs had opportunities to be that killer last year, to be the guy who, who puts a nail in another team's coffin and, and really carries his team to, the, to a win. I think Fremantle has some of those qualities. My question with him is, is he mature enough? Has he, because Fremantle, in my mind, you watch him during games and sometimes he takes himself out of a game right here between his own ears. Um, I think both of those guys have qualities to which they could be that closer. They could be a guy that takes over games, but I don't think either one of those would be my answer. I think, I think a guy named Colby Jones could, could be a guy who could have that killer instinct and take a, I think really highly of Colby Jones in his game. I think you watch him, his basketball IQ, the fact that he can do everything on the floor, he can dribble it, he can pass it. You started to see him shoot it a little bit more. Um, to me, this year is going to be big for him because if he is going to be that type of guy, that type of player who can close games and, and score when it really matters, um, I think he needs to show a little bit of that progression, especially early on and over the course of the season, sort of get his wings underneath him. And then by the time when the end of the season rolls around, you have some confidence in yourself that when those situations arise, you can close a game out. Um, 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, Colby really, he hasn't done anything to, to prove that he is that guy yet, but I think, I think that he has that potential. He did have the game winner. What was it Marquette or someone? Uh, Providence. Providence. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So he, he does have the big game winner, but I, so I'm with you, actually. I think that's almost closest to my answer of like who might step up and be that guy, because with all due respect to Paul Scruggs, it's been back to back years, kind of the same thing. I know he got injured one year, but like he's kind of let his team flounder late in the season and he hasn't yeah. really seemed to be able to get over the hump and been that like go to guy late in games. And I think to me, that might be the bigger issue for this Xavier team It's not do you have the quote-unquote best player on the court? When I was saying that, especially at the end of last year, I meant it more as Xavier didn't have the guy that was willing to step up and take over a, a winnable game. Like, you're playing Butler with the season on the line. They stink. You have the better talent, and yet you know your go-to guys are going over from three. Their go-to yeah. guys are getting to the free-throw line, making big shots. Like They're making the clutch plays and taking over when the game's on the line. For whatever reason this group of guys hasn't proven to be able, uh, proven to be able to do that. Part of it is Paul, I think, and the way his game works. He's not the most skilled. He's not the best shooter. He's not he's not always able to just create offense out of thin air, right? Like he's a, he's a great competitor, a, a great warrior, can play on both ends and do a lot of different things, but he may not be a go-to with the game on the line type of guy. And then you pointed out Zach Fremantle's issues. I mean, you're absolutely, he just hasn't been mature enough to be a go-to player. And he probably has some skill things that he needs to continue to improve on. If he's going to be like a guy that you throw the ball to late in the game and say, go win us a game. So I love the Colby Jones answer. I think that is a, a very good possibility that he ends up kind of being the closer for this team. And going back to the team that this poster had referenced the 2015, 2016 team that went 14 to four in conference play. Okay. I can see where you're coming from a little bit that a sophomore Trayvon Blewett might not have been better than all these guys you listed, but one, you had a sophomore Trayvon Blewett. It was, all Big East, and and he was a killer. He knew when the game's on the line, I'm getting the ball and I'm making a shot. You also had Miles Davis at the height of his powers before everything fell apart with him the following offseason. He was a killer in late-game situations, made a lot of big-time shots and free throws that year, wanted the ball in his hands. You also had an NBA player in Edmund Sumner, who was a hell of a talented player, and I don't know if he was necessarily the guy that closed games for you, but he could take over at different times. You also had a guy in J.P. Makira who certainly wasn't the most talented guy, but go back to the Villanova game when you beat him at Centos Center. He's banging 40-footers with a couple minutes to go, and you should be pulling the ball out, and he's just like, nah, let me just end it right now and win the game. So like that group was made up of those types of guys, guys that wanted the moment and were ready for it. They had killers, they had closers, and they were still really talented. Like Inside, you still got Jalen Reynolds, James Farr, all of that. In addition to all of that, Let's go to the coaching side of things like that is to me, that is the year that shows you who Chris Mack was as a coach. Like the year before he had installed the one, three, one because of Matt Stainbrook and they couldn't guard. And that was how they beat Providence once the year before. And then twice this following year in 2015, 2016, after Stainbrook had left, they were still using that one, three, one because Chris Dunn couldn't solve it. He couldn't shoot from the outside. If you took away his driving lanes, you completely shut down Providence's offense. Like Chris Mack won Providence, that Providence game two times in a row by just yeah. throwing the one, three, one at him. So there were a lot of things going on with that, which made them very good. Part of it was the coaching. And then part of it was just, they had a bunch of really good dudes with some killers and, and closer type guys in that. That would be my biggest question mark for this year's team. And maybe, you know, maybe that's even the biggest weakness or question mark is do they have closers? Do they have guys that are willing to step up and capable of stepping up with the game on the line? Because Quite honestly, last year, that definitely didn't happen. And, and going back before last year is maybe unfair to, to this group because it's not really the same team. But 
last year, we've got a pretty good image of who these guys were with their season on the line late in the year, and they didn't come through. So a lot of those, the guys that are returning, I think that's the biggest thing they have to answer to this year is, is can they close those games out, especially when they're very winnable games? I mean, you look at those last three games they lost. I don't think they scored 70 points in any of them. No, no, you're scoring in the sixties and all those games. You gotta, you gotta find a way your season's on the line. You gotta be better than that. Someone's got to make some shots. Yeah. I, and to, to be honest, that, that might be the most important point that we've talked about with this team. It's like, who is going to be that guy? And because I don't think that this team is a team that's just going to run over everyone and not be in a scenario where they need a guy to step up late in games. I think they're going to be in games where you're going to need a guy who takes over late and says, you know what, I'm going to go win this thing. Because to me, I remember watching that Butler game, the, the last game of the season last year. And in the second half, it looked like five guys were out there who were just looking around at, hey, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Like, no, no one owned that and stepped up and said, all right, I got this. They just looked like a team that that was waiting on someone else to make the move and take over that game. And it ended up being Butler who took over that game. But yeah, that that's probably the the strongest point surrounding this team going into the years, like who is going to be that guy. So, yeah, I mean, time will tell, but yeah, they need to figure it out. Definitely. Well, Adam, this went a long time. Thank you so much for uh, being so gracious with all your time today. And I know the fans will enjoy this and, Finally, we're back in the gym. I think we'll see each other in person this week for like the first time in a year and a half. I know. I can't wait, dude. Um, it'll be fun. It's like I, I remember when when I first got this job and it was like I would go up to practice and I would just sit there at every practice and just be there and watch. And it's like I'm I'm getting paid to go watch Xavier practice like it, it, and, you know, I get to hang out with you. I get to hang out with Byron and Andy Mack and we haven't gotten to do it in a long time. So I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah, nothing better than that. Thanks again for for doing this, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.